Support for this podcast comes from Walgreens. Let's start with everyone out there who loves a good story. Now, narrow it down to all those passionate podcast listeners who are dedicated to living their best life. That's you, right? Well, Walgreens created a new, easier way to shop, save, and stay well just for you. It's called My Walgreens. And when you join, you'll discover personalized deals, instantly earn unlimited rewards, and receive real-time local health alerts. Join for free at MyWalgreens.com. Exclusions apply. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Classic Black Dude with your host, Clark Jones. I am here, Clark Jones. We are live from the quarantine still. Clark Jones, a.k.a. Pod Strickland. We got a very special, very, uh, very celebrated guest today. So happy to have the Brooklyn president, Eric Adams going to be speaking about everything that's happening in New York right now, speaking on coping with uh, everything that's going on in just New York as a, uh, as a whole, as a Brooklyn born and raised New York native, didn't move here, lives here, and uh, we're so happy to have him, man. I'm just happy. You know what? I'm happy that I can still do this. I'm happy that despite what's going on, you know, everybody talks about this is a terrible time. This is a trash time. And yes, while that might be true in a lot of ways, and our leadership is uh, ass, I don't mean to offend anybody, but it is. That's just the reality of it. You can't talk about things being better. You can't really get into how to solve an issue until you're being honest with it. And that's why I want to have honest guests who come on the show. President Adams uh, is leading... Like, as a hip-hop fan, Brooklyn is it. Brooklyn is it. So, like, I'm, I want to talk to the Brooklyn president. A lot of people don't even know that um, you can have, that there is a president. I'm talking about people who live in Brooklyn. And I'm a big get-out-the-vote supporter. Um, so, you know, you should know who your leadership is. I thought about running for Brooklyn president. I had a platform. I had, like, three things. Right. I was like, number one, the aisles and the bodegas need to be wider. It's just too hard to get through sometimes. You bump it into people, especially with Corona. I'm sorry, the coronation, as it's called sometimes. Especially with that, you just need that space. I like space. I like room. We need to widen the aisles in every bodega in Brooklyn. Okay. The stadium where the Nets play. Um, I wanted to change it from the uh, the current name, the Barclays, to the Cassius Clay. Instead of the Barclays, I know Barclays where the money at, and the Barclays they can still keep their money and get their money, but change it from the Barclays to the Cassius Clay Center in honor of Muhammad Ali. You can put the Muhammad Ali in parentheses because we want to honor his, his Muslim heritage, right? And stop calling Malcolm X, Malcolm X. Malik El-Hajj Shabazz. I'm sorry, I got a little bit of a lisp. Shabazz. We just call him, we still call him, he changed his name. But we didn't like when people still call Cassius Clay, Cassius Clay, we were like, his name's Ali. You saw it in Coming to America. My own name Clay, I'm gonna call him Clay. Like, nah, man. Respect to switch. Also, 
in Brooklyn specifically, and really everywhere, my feeling was in Brooklyn, ODB's birthday should be a holiday. Kids shouldn't have to go to school. That was just my feeling. Could I be wrong? Obviously. I don't know much. I don't know a lot of things. But I do know I like to talk about it. That's why we had great guests. That's why we have a good time here on Classic Black Dude. That's why, you know, as much as I have to say about just because you're criticizing something, that doesn't mean you hate it. It's a different time right now, man. We're like, it's a lot of fun. I just remember, I, I miss that barbershop feel, you know? Like, I'm out of that era. That I Because somebody, people can be from an era, but still not respect the uh the rules of it like i'm from the 90s but like in the 90s you moved in a different way somebody could be from the 30s that don't mean that they act like a like a chump i'm from the 30s yeah well act like it all this sensitivity that's going around it's not it's just not it's just not classic black dude moves just because Ah, and we got our guest. Speaking of classic black dude, can you hear me, President Adams? Uh, yes, I can. Is this audio and visual? And visual? Yep. Okay. Just want to be sure. So glad to you? have you. Good. No, thank you very much, man. Good to have you as well. Yeah, I was just uh, I was just breaking down the times that we in, man. I was talking to the audience, giving a little intro on just um really like the state of black men right now mm, mm, and mm. just how we are like respecting the traditional ways and of what manhood is, but also learning to adapt to changing times. Mm, that's powerful. That's powerful. Um, the times we live in now in the social media era, those squeaky wheels seem to get oiled. But if you come out of that strong, silent type, or you come out of that action-based uh, approach to life, you don't get the same help, it feels like. Mm. Mm-hmm. The, the, the platform of, of Twitter, of Instagram, is to say, I'm the victim. But how does a man who was raised to not be the victim survive in this type i'm sorry to come out heavy <laughs> no brother no you dropping you dropping some jewels man and, and that's real <laughs> how, how do you how do you how do you navigate that when you want the attention and you want the help but you were raised not to beg from help for help or to be the victim well first of all we grew up particularly um black men malehood has been, been defined as uh suck it up suck it know? up and, and that uh, definition of suck it up was not something that was told to us on one day. It was told to us when we were playing with our dad and we would fall and he'll look at it and you'll be bleeding and he'll say, listen, you know, suck it up. Uh, you're on the football field and, you know, you get hit and, you know, you get what we called our bell was rung and the coach would say, get back in there for the next play, suck it up. You know, get him harder and, next time. That's right. It's just it's just a perpetual um, drilling in your head 
that you are supposed to ignore pain both physically and emotionally and just digging deep and keep moving. And in fact, we don't realize the broken bones that we receive physically is only a reflection of some of the brokenness that the spiritual anatomy of the anatomy of our spirit is broken in many pieces. So you never have that healing period. And never we can't continue to just suck it up through life. We have to start the process of healing. And that is where we need to be as black men. What's your thoughts on, there is a particular movement now, and you're hearing it in one of the, our most, toxic. I'll admit it, I'm a hip hop fan, I'm a rap fan, mm-hmm. I grew up through it all, but one of our most toxic environments is the hip hop realm. So finally, there's this movement to go to therapy, right? And to, to talk about um, the things that you need to heal from. Is that, do you feel like that is a good solution? In this, in this, in this healing of the black man, so to speak. Well, I think that folks like Charlemagne and what he's doing in his book that he he released recently uh, about acknowledging uh, the mental health issues, uh, mental health crises in our community. Think about it for a moment. Um, Coming from uh, the uh, spirit and energy, negative energy that came out of slavery. uh, There's so many things that came out of slavery. Not only Um, how it destroyed the mind uh, physically and continue to perpetuate that destruction, but also how it planted the seed of destructive food that destroyed the body that we continue to consume and eat. Willie Lynch was not only a letter that told us how to build in self-hate, but it was also coded language in our recipes that showed us year after year that grandmother's and great-great-grandmother's recipe that they handed down to us those were the byproducts of slavery that we're still consuming that's destroying our bodies. And we mm-hmm. often ignore that. So we may walk around with a dashiki and say black power verbally, but in actuality, we're living out the destruction of the slave master and we're perpetuating that, dis- that destruction. And so when we seek help and guidance, we need to seek it from those black and brown people that have a clear understanding of what we're going through. It's not a fraud type uh, breakdown. It is not some of the breakdown of the Darwin theories. It's something that is unique to the black experience. And that is where we need to come from when we seek that help. Not only the person who has a degree, but the person who has a degree of understanding of what it is to be a black man in a country that is merely apple pie, Chevrolet, distract, destruction of black men, falls in the same area and the same belief. Yeah. They, I mean, it's certain tenets that the country is, is built on. And they, they wrote those tenets on our backs, <laughs> right? Without a doubt, without a doubt. And, and, you know, and I was on a podcast with a beautiful sister. We were talking the other day, and she was sharing with me, you know, that, hey, Eric, there's a lot of black men who are uh, uh, progressive or revolutionaries, whatever term we want to use nowadays, um, that, you know, don't agree with you and they criticize and attack you. And I challenge her. I said, go through history. Um, was everyone with, with Dr. King? Was everyone with Malcolm? You know, was everyone with Obama? You had, you had, you had folks that were totally against Obama. You know, they're, they're black preachers. Uh, there's a black preacher that changed the interest to his church. So when they named a role, Dr. King's role, he changed the interest of his church because he disliked him so much. 
And people were attacking King. People was attacking uh, Ali. People were attacking uh, Nelson Mandela. We've never had 100% approval. We have to weather through that and be consistent in what we're doing in our life. And, and then let me tell you something else that's most important. We don't need keyboard revolutionaries. Don't sit home oh, man, and yes. use your keyboard to talk about how you're going to change the movement when you never got out and did anything to change the movement. Black grandmothers are home right now, can't leave their homes because of COVID-19, and we should be out there feeding them, protecting them, going to the store and get what they need and make sure that they get the care that they need. We're supposed to put ourselves in harm's way. That's why I'm out there every day handing our mask and nitrous, feeding our seniors and our elders. This is what warriors are. Don't tell me about what, we would, what you would have done, um, black man, if you were around during the Klan. COVID-19 is our Klan. So show me manhood right now. Absolutely. I, first of all, I want to congratulate you, too, on um, changing your lifestyle and eating habits and uh, getting in shape and taking that initiative. That's, a lot, that's another thing. It's the lure. I think that if you're in pain, if you're hurting, you should reach out to people and let people know and accept as much help as you can get. But we also have to help ourselves, right? Like I'm in, I'm in Los Angeles and uh, there was a movement to get more plant-based and healthy uh, foods here, but the community kind of rejected those things um, because we rely on what we're comfortable with. All the all the, the hog <laughs> and all the fat and all the grease. Like comfort food, our comfort food, we take it to a whole different degree. <laughs> so like how do we get how do we make it a wave for people to eat better and, and heal and treat each other better with what we consume? That's the, that's a solid question. And I and I respect that. And you know what I learned on this journey is that we have to meet people where they are and take them where they ought to be and not meet people where we are. If someone would have come to me five years ago when uh, steak and hamburger and a sugary food, oily food was the center of my meal plan, and they would have told me, listen, you need to stop eating this way, I would have heard, but I would have went back and chopped on uh, what I was eating. And it wasn't until the my ailment hit me, you know, I lost my sight in my left eye. I was losing in my right. The doctor said, you're going to be blind in a year, probably. I had permanent nerve damage in my hands and feet. Uh, I couldn't even feel my right thigh. And I thought it was from nerve damage from playing football, but it was the diabetes. And it wasn't until I was told my diabetes was at a late, a coma level. And the doctor said I had to go on insulin right away. They wanted to give me medicine for my vision loss, medicine for my blood pressure, medicine for my cholesterol, medicine for my PSA, which is an indicator of prostate cancer that I lost my dad to. Uh, they wanted to give me several medicines for the diabetes until I said, well, you know, this is not what I believe the body is capable of doing. And I was able to find doctors that told me, hey, if you change your lifestyle, you know, what you eat, you can reverse your condition. And I, I remember when I was speaking to the doctor, the same doctor that treated Bill Clinton, I was like, you know, what's wrong with this food, man? I'm going blind and he's telling me to give up on fried food. That's but I tried. Happy. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't nothing happening. It's, it's so good going down, you know? <laughs> and so I tried, man. And three weeks, brother, three weeks after going to a whole food plant-based diet, my vision cleared up. 
Oh. Uh, three months later, my diabetes went in remission. I had an ulcer. The ulcer went away. The blood pressure normalized. The cholesterol normalized. My PSA normalized. No medicine. No medicine. And the I dropped 30 pounds. My body is firm and tight and healthy. I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hitting 60 in a couple of months. I can't I, 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 I am more healthy now than I was when I was 21 years old because of what I'm consuming. And so what I learned is that we're meet, reaching out to our churches and we're creating health ministries in our churches because, you know, we lean towards um, our religious philosophy and we want to show the uh, philosophical connection to our religious uh, belief on how we're supposed to be eating healthy. And we're finding the pathways and talking to people so they can make that evolution. That's beautiful. Healing is so, is so important. And you're a New York native. I hear it all through the accent. I hear it all through <laughs> your presence. I taught in East New York. I used to, I used to teach Love high it. school at the charter schools over there. I, took, I used to get off at the Canarsie stop off the L. Um, I taught there for three years all throughout New Love York. It. <laughs> um, healing, healing is so key. Speaking of healing, um, in current events, there's this Last Dance documentary. And as a New Yorker, I know you had to heal from the pain that Michael Jordan has put on every Nick fan, every New York sports <laughs> fan. Are you are you watching this? Are you are you were you a big Knicks fan in the nineties? Yes, you know, you couldn't be. It was exciting times, you know, even though we never got the ring. Uh, since the days of Willis Reed and Walt Frazier. The reality was it was good ball and good competition. My dad always said that, Eric. He said it's about the good competition. We had some good competitions um, with, you know, those games at the Garden. It was a live brother, uh, Ewing. uh, 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 I'm forgetting some of the names now. Ewing, Larry Johnson, Larry Johnson, Oakley. Oakley is a good friend now. But, oh, uh, yeah, I love, we yeah, love we, yeah. They left it all on the court, man. They left it all on the court. The energy was high, and it just was really uh, the determination. And so it was a good year. We, you know, even without the ring, uh, yeah. you can never take away the moments, the experience, and the excitement. That's what life is about. Support for this podcast comes from Pluto TV. Need an escape? Drop into Pluto TV for a world of free TV. Stream hundreds of channels and thousands of movies and shows all for free. Yeah, free. No subscriptions, no fees. Imagine 24-7 channels of Narcos, CSI, Star Trek, Survivor, and everything else from hit movies to binge-worthy TV shows, the latest news, live sports, comedy, and more. What are you waiting for? Download the free Pluto TV app for Android, iPhone, Roku, or Fire TV and start watching now. Pluto TV. Drop in. Watch free. What's up, everybody? I'm Graham Bunn. So excited to introduce you to Country Shine, where we're talking all things country music. That's right, and I'm Cameron Irwin, co-host and resident country girl at Tinseltown, here to welcome you to the family. Every Tuesday, we'll update you on the latest in country music, culture, and community. And on Fridays, I'll bring on country musicians and all the biggest names in the game. It's a gathering, and we want you here. You can listen to Country Shine with me, Graham Bunn, for free right here on Spotify. Support for this podcast comes from Microsoft Teams. Now there are more ways to be a team with Microsoft Teams. Bring everyone together in one space with a new virtual room. Collaborate live, drawing, sharing, and building ideas with everyone on the same page. And make sure more of your team is seen and heard with up to 49 people on screen at once. 
Learn more about all the newest Teams features at Microsoft.com Teams. Support for this podcast comes from American Express, who is proud to be backing 100 Black women entrepreneurs, like Reese Scott, who founded a boxing community for women. Boxing helps women and girls to build their confidence. Or Taylor Long, who founded a clothing brand for all. Everyone should have access to the same style of clothing, no matter their size. 100 Black Women Entrepreneurs. 100% backing of American Express business. Meet the 100 at AmericanExpress.com slash 100 for 100. I played sports. I never got past high school level, but I'm just competitive. I'm in that competitive space. Love it. Always. So like the, the 90s teams, even the Miami Heat, Bulls, Eastern Conference was about like, it just ingrained in me this, like, if you want it, fight for it type of yes. mentality. Yes, um, yes. Which that's, is what why sports, that's, why sport, that's why sports is, you know, the whole concept of, of a sport is so important because it teaches you, um, you know, get up. It mm-hmm. teaches you to be uh, determined. It teaches you to be prepared. Uh, you know, many people don't reach the level they want when they really want to follow their sport dream is because they're not putting everything in. And a lot of folks get there and they forgot what it took to get there. Absolutely. And so I learned so much. Uh, I played uh, JV ball back in school for a short period of time until I discovered girls and it was a wrap. Oh, you know? yeah. <laughs> <Still> competition. <laughs> if you want to fight for it, fight for it. Get that effort. Call back. Call back. <laughs> do what you got to do with the consent, with consent. That's well, right. <laughs> if you want to go after it, man. Um, I love I love that you are in charge of Brooklyn. A lot of people don't even know that there's such. I was telling people, you know, I'm interviewing the, the president of Brooklyn, and they thought <laughs> they thought I was, like, crazy. Like, what, what Biggie Mama or something? Like, who you in? Like, no, Brooklyn has, each borough has a president. A lot of people don't know that. Yes. And I live... I lived in uh, I lived in Bushwick. Wow. I lived in I lived right on Eastern Parkway and wow. St. John's over Crown Heights. What this years was this was a few years ago for a couple okay. years. Like it, you know what it was? Eastern Parkway ch- has changed, but St. John is still <laughs> kind of active. St. John and Troy Ave is still kind of kind of active That's over right. there. Shout out. To the uh, the uh, I forget the name of it, but it's a uh, it's a like a cafeteria style spot that I go to over there. Right. One thing I want to talk to you about because I was listening to your interviews. Um, your I want in your own words. A lot of people think you hate gentrification, mm-hmm. like because you speak so adamantly about what it's done to the neighborhoods and what it's done to the community. And I just want to know in your words, what's wrong with it? What needs to be fixed? And what is the plan to make uh, gentrification and the positives of it more rec- or better received in, the, in, in, in Brooklyn? And that's such a great question. You know, one of the terms that, you know, I, I use of telling folks, listen, if you don't like our city, go back to Iowa, go back to um, Ohio. You know, first of all, they wanted to turn it into a racial comment. But in reality, there are black folks in Ohio. If folks don't know that, you go to Cleveland of where uh, LeBron James is for, uh, from, and there's a very rich black history. So it wasn't not about ethnicity, it was about attitude. And let me tell you how it's used, gentrification, across the country, not only New York. And my comments, believe it or not, was an entire speech. 
you know, if you listen and hear the speech that I was pointing out on how our cities don't respond to the needs of communities until the ethnicity changes. You know, when you look at um, what's happening around gun violence across uh, America, I don't care if it's Compton, Watts, South Side of Chicago, or Brownsville, um, the problem of gun violence we have in this country, it, it lies in handguns, not assault weapons, yet the federal government move at a rapid pace when assault weapons like AK-47 were used in the suburban counties, but we're not dealing with the handgun crisis. Black women in New York, they're dying at 12 times the rate of white women from morbidity, from, from infant maternal morbidity. Yet you don't see a national movement to address the issues that are impacting that. Black and brown boys across the country are level one in school, unable to graduate, highest level of incarceration, highest level of employment, highest level of disease. You don't see a national movement to do that Yet when the opioid crisis took place, unlike the crack crisis, you saw this mass movement to address the opioid and hundreds of millions of dollars were put in. And so what gentrifiers have used in our communities, they have used governmental agencies to go after the historical aspects of communities. They have closed down restaurants and uh, clubs and, and venues that we use. They've called the police on people who played dominoes that they played in their community for so long in Washington, Washington Heights. Uh, young brothers and sisters decide to break dance or rap in their parks. They want to call the police and use the police, use the community boards, use all the governmental agencies to go after the traditional um, of establishment or calling the police because, hey, every Sunday we hear noises coming from this building on the block. Hey, that's our church. That church has been there when other folks weren't. And so what I'm saying to people, if you want to come to a community, be a part of that community, don't come in and displace the residents or displace the ideas of that community and don't allow our landlords and property owners to displace longtime residents. And we need to be clear about that. This has happened in Atlanta. This has happened in, in parts of California. It's happening in parts of Maryland and Detroit. This is happening all over the country. D.C., yeah. That's D.C., um, used to be called Chocolate City. The displacement of residents and using it in some illegal ways or harassing ways needs to be pointed out, and we cannot define a crisis based on what happens to others and ignore the crisis that's happening every day to black and brown and poor people in this country. As a, as a, uh, as a, as a president of Brooklyn, and I know I, as I lived in, I lived in Brooklyn for five years. One of the things that I know as a leader, you have to address um, the healing. That's the theme of today's show, healing, right? Mm -hmm. The relationships. And one, we go all the way back to um, Spike Lee's movie, to uh, Do the Right Thing. The That's relationship. Best Eye. Yeah, Best Eye. Do it. Well, it's not even Do or Die no more. They had to change. <laughs> do and live. Do and yeah, live. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to keep it more positive. That was a big thing that happened with, um, recently, the, um, the funeral that happened. And there was a lot of anti-Semitic um, response from the black community, right? And there's always been this tenuous kind of relationship between our Jewish community 
and the black residents, especially from the landlord um, renter relationship. As the president of Brooklyn, what is your approach now to that healing between that relationship and what can be done, if anything? That's so powerful, you know, and I think, first of all, I want to commend you for having a healing episode because healing is so important. We, you have to heal. You can't place a Band-Aid on a cancerous sore. You have to heal it in order for it to uh, reach its full healing process. And so when you look at not only the uh, Hasidic community in Brooklyn, uh, we have the largest Jewish population outside of Israel. And Brooklyn is extremely diverse. 47% of Brooklynites speak a language other than English at home. In some parts of the country, it's challenging to understand um, that these communities are not monolithic. They all live together in close proximity with each other and they patronize each other. And the relationship with not only the Hasidic community, that is the, the orthodox part of the Jewish faith, is different from the large other Jewish population. You have Orthodox, you have conservatives, other groups, and all of those groups are here in the borough of Brooklyn. And where we have uh, went wrong as a city and state, when coronavirus first happened, we were talking in an echo chamber. We were basically, uh, the, the mayor, the governor, the president, were all talking to uh, those who are New York Times readers, those who speak English, and those who basically sit down and get their news from that method. Yet in New York City, particularly Brooklyn, you have people who don't speak English at all. You have people who don't read English papers, don't listen to English on, on television. Uh, they get their news in different ways. And one of those communities is the Hasidic community. Their children l l learn Yiddish. They stay in synagogue in their um, yeshivas all day studying until they come of, of manhood and they get married. Many of them have no interaction with any newspaper, any television, any type of communication. And so what I said to the city, we need to start diversifying how we communicate with people and communicate with them on their level. Now, we fall into three categories. One, soon as someone hear a directive, they're going to follow it, no problem. They're gonna do what's right. Two, you have those who have to be reminded that listen, social distance, do the right thing. And three, you have those who are just going to be violating the rules. And we need to use light enforcement until we have to escalate into difficult enforcement. So I don't wanna hear people say that the mere fact you're giving instructions, we automatically follow it. That is not how the human experience is. People are told all the time, stop speeding, and they still drive at 70 miles an hour with all the signs and all the fines. So we need to ensure we keep reinforcing what we're doing, as well as um, be patient with each other, communicate with each other, and realize we're all in this together. That's something we saw similar, brother, with the Chinese community. When Donald Trump and his toxic rhetoric started calling the coronavirus the Chinese virus, we had people fighting and attacking Chinese residents. I have an initiative in Brooklyn that I call the NYCHA initiative that I'm giving masks and um, PPEs, personal protection equipment, to our uh, communities that are economically, economically challenged, the Chinese community, they have sponsored this initiative. 
They have given me over 100,000 masks to give to black and brown and poor communities, even though people have been attacking them. They said, we want to be part of helping these communities that are in need. So we need to get away from this hate and move into this place of healing and start looking at people who are causing the pain and start looking at the foundation of the pain that we are experiencing. Absolutely. As a political expert, as a man who won an election in Brooklyn, um, <laughs> this has been this is a, a, a big one. Um, what's going on right now? Attitudes and looking past personal hurt to do the right thing. Biden right now. A lot of because of the way information is given out now, you almost don't know who knows what. But we all <laughs> so know <laughs> Biden wrote that bill, the crime bill that put a lot of people who look like us in a position where they can't even vote. People who would have voted for him can't even right. vote for him. Right. A tactical right. error. How do we, right. people who have, um, still have ill feelings towards that, how do, we, how do we look past that to do the right thing, whatever that might be in November? I like that, I like that. First of all, you know, it's probably one of the oldest adage that we've heard uh, for years. Don't cut up your nose to spike Amen. your face. You know, I would look at a hundred things that Biden has done in his long political career. And I would say to myself, you know what? Here are 20 things that I hate, but here are 80 things that I can live with. And then I would look at the hundred things that Trump has done. And I would say, here are 99 things I hate and one thing I agree with. And so for me to just focus on the numerical minority number of things that Biden did that I dislike and say, I'm not going to support him because of that and allow a person to get reelected that has been destructive to our community, that is not wise. So to say, I'm staying home because my candidate may have been Elizabeth Warren or may have been Bernie Sanders, and I'm just going to stay home and not participate. You know, that is the wrong way to do it. I'm not a, a fan of many of the candidates that were running for president, but I surely know the president that is in right now is not going to be helpful, has been harmful, and we need to have a different representation that we can communicate with to get some of the real things done on the ground. And that is what I believe of people should do. Staying home is a vote. Yeah. It's a vote for the person you don't like. And that is a vote we cannot afford to lose. Straight from the president's mouth. I know you got a busy schedule. I appreciate you coming by and spending some time and talking to our audience. Before you go, because as a Brooklynite, I yes. know New Yorkers have recommendations on everything, right? Yeah, I know, number one, you're going to give me the best tasting place, but also need the healthiest place to go grab a bite to eat if you're in Brooklyn right now. Where do you go? Um, there's, there's a couple of good places. Uh, Greedy uh, Vegan is an excellent place to go uh, and eat. And, you know, there's, that's one of Best my time? favorite places. Some good, oh, yes. Is I'm the sorry. Okay. The best time. Now, look at you. Know your, know your, know your rules. Know your places. That's right. <laughs> Some good food. And healthy, but let me tell you one of the most healthiest places, your kitchen. Mm. You know, we're doing a series of videos on our Instagram at um, BP Eric Adams, and we're showing meals, everything from how to make a ice cream type dessert 
to how to make a stew, you know, different foods that we're doing. And, you know, we encourage people, empower yourself. Use this moment that you are sheltering in place to reintroduce yourself to someone you knew all your life, but you never really met, and that is you. Learn yourself again, self-heal, meditate, eat right, come out of coronavirus stronger and better with a clear vision and a clear mind. If you are fortunate to live, learn long enough, you're going to be unfortunate to experience pain. Let's turn pain into purpose. This is the purpose. And they can find you everywhere at BP Adams. Eric okay, Adams. Eric Adams everywhere. Yes. On Instagram is uh, BP Eric Adams. Exactly. Okay. Yes. And that's where they can also get resources and find out um, how to get everything from mass to other, other. Everything. Whatever they need to find is right there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate you, man. I got it all. Whatever you need. Thank you so much, okay. President Adams. All right, Thank talk you. to you soon. <laughs>